0: Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. My name is Ben. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Life Fellowship. If you're visiting, so glad you're here with us this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel 2. Daniel 2 is uh, right after it, the, the, all those major prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, then Daniel is where you'll find there where we'll be this morning. Uh, last week, last Saturday, we left. We dropped off our second son uh, off to college. and I'll, I'll be honest with you, that was, it was hard for me. When we dropped off our first one, it was kind of like, yay, you know, we've got two more years left with the one and three years left with my, with my daughter. But when I dropped off my second son and I realized I had one year left with my daughter, Hallie, it was like something hit me. And uh, what it hit me was I now have to mow the lawn. <laughs> no, there's more than that. But, but I, I, I had to mow the lawn this week for the first time in about eight years. I've got two sons, and one of the reasons, you know, I have these sons, I'm trying to teach them a work ethic, and so I always put them to work. And, but one of the great benefits of having boys is, you know, just they do the yard work. I say, do this, and they do it, and now they're gone. And now for the first time in my life, the first time in my life, there are more females in the house than males. You can pray for me right now. But as I was mowing the lawn this 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 past week, you know, one of the things that you have to do when you mow the lawn, if you do those kinds of things, uh, you have to, you kind of have to know where the line is, where the neighbor's yard ends and yours begin. And, you know, there's that, there's that line that usually you just kind of, you, you, there's this imaginary line, and usually they know when to stop, when you know where to begin. And sometimes that can get a little messy, especially if there's tree work that you're doing or things like that. But, but there's these boundaries, sometimes they're invisible, sometimes we have fences, that divide where, you, where your property ends and your neighbor's begins. And so I, when I was mowing the lawn this, this week, for the first time in eight years, I'm like, okay, I've got to figure out, okay, this is where the line is. And we like, we like those boundaries. We like to know this is my property and that's their property. That's helpful for us. And I think a lot of times we do that subconsciously. We do that with God. We, do, we, we say, okay, God, this is your stuff and this is the world's stuff. And I'm not saying that there aren't things that are known by the world or there's activities that are not worldly. But as we've been talking about Babylon We realize there's these two kingdoms that are continually going to be in clashing with one another, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Babylon. And that same battle, that same clash is going on in our world today. Pastor Dan, for the last two weeks, has done an amazing job of of talking about how we as followers of Jesus today, as we are living now in a modern day Babylon, how do we develop our own convictions to make sure that our faith thrives in Babylon? But one of the things as we talk about this theme, Thriving in Babylon, that we need to understand is this. That God is Lord over Babylon just like he was Lord over Jerusalem. Amen. It is so easy for us. Again, back in that mindset, it was every nation had their own God. So what happens when Jerusalem falls? We think, well, that God has been defeated. And we talked about this a number of weeks ago when I was teaching that. That God is going to show you how he is over over Babylon, over the kingdoms of this world. And so one of the things that we've got to understand that we've got to be very careful of is that when it, many times we can bring in bad theology into our lives and thinking, well, this is secular and this is sacred. Church, Sundays, uh, Bible studies, small group, youth group, that's God stuff. Work, sports, home life, work life, whatever it is, conversation my neighborhood, that's secular. And one of the dangerous things that we can do in our lives is we have this very hard, just like, you know, this is my property and that's your property. I'm going to mow my property and leave your property to yourself. That we have this property line, invisible property line with God. God, these are the things that you care about, and then that's the world stuff over there. And many times we fail to see that God is not just over it all, but God is actually working in Babylon. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning how God works in Babylon. God is working all around us. And so, this idea that that God is bigger than the Temple of Jerusalem, God is bigger than Jerusalem, God is greater than the Jewish people. In the very beginning of Daniel chapter 2, Daniel's going to rock the world of his, of his audience. Remember, Daniel's writing this uh, to, to Jewish exiles. And their thinking is well, what, where is, what happens to our faith when all the institutions and the structures of our faith are gone? Is God still active? Is God still working? And if we're going to thrive in our faith today, we've got to change our mindset to believe that God is capable of working in the, in the, in the biggest, greatest corporate boardroom of Bank of America or Apple or, or the White House in Washington, D.C., as he is in the church of Jesus Christ. God can work anywhere. And God does work in Babylon. And so as we confront this reality... We have to see where God is working. So let's read. I'm going to read up until verse verse 17. So let's just read or Daniel chapter two it says in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And let me just stop right there. If you ever read commentaries, people say, "Oh, the dating of Daniel's all wrong because Daniel this is the second year of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's already a you know a wise man. He's part of that group." Uh, and, and he was there for three years training, it says, in the first chapter, so there's already a, a discrepancy. Well, no, if you have to understand this, that in the Babylonian way that they charted or measured time, z- their first year they count as year zero. So most likely what happens here in this event is probably within weeks to months of, of Daniel's graduation of Nebuchadnezzar, of the school that he was a part of. So in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, which would have been his third, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Now it's never good when an egomaniac, narcissist, loses sleep, right? This is a bad thing. It's bad enough when you don't get sleep. When you are an all-powerful dictator and you don't get sleep, bad things are going to happen. So he's he's, he's sleep has left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream. My spirit is troubled to know this dream. And the Chaldeans said to the king in, in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. And the king was not having any of it. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretations, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Now, this is what they used to do in Babylon. They used to have this wonderful way of of killing people, and they would take these four trees that were younger, you know, young enough to be bent towards the middle and take these four trees. And they would tie everyone's, if they want to tear you limb from limb, they would tie your four limbs to these four trees and then cut the rope and let the trees rip you limb from limb. That's what he's talking about here. That's what they did. So he, this, is not, this is not, oh, he's just, he's just being extreme. No, this is what they did. When he said, I will t- we will tear you limb from limb, they knew that was a real threat. I will tear you limb from him, and your houses shall be made laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretations, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretations. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servant the dream. They know that they are in trouble. They can't do this. Tell your king the dream. And we will show you the interpretation, the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. Underline that word time. That's very important. Because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words for me until the times change. Underline that word times again. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered and said to the king, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands, for no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. These Chaldeans are like, you've asked us to do something that's impossible. This is a supernatural request. We don't have the answers for it. And so what does the king do is, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize it. Again, he's a grumpy, narcissistic dictator. He gets his way. So what happens in verse 12? Because of this, the king was very angry and very furious and commanded that the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel his companions to be killed. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the king of the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then, then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time, under that word time again, that he might show the interpretation to the king. What is going on here? Well, the first thing that we need to understand, that God is working, God is working in Babylon, And the first thing, how God works in Babylon, God works to confront Babylon's power. God works to confront Babylon's power. Now, everything is going normal in Babylon. Notice that? Everything's, everything's, you know, normal for them. And what does God do? He drops a dream. He gives Nebuchadnezzar this dream and vision, and it's such a disturbing dream and vision, he can't sleep. God is the one who's disrupting everything. You see this? He didn't have to. God doesn't have to do anything, but God chose to say, I'm going to take the most powerful man in the most powerful country in the world, and I am going to disrupt his life. This is what God does. God does this with all of us, all of humanity. God is always working in us, and he's confronting Nebuchadnezzar's power. He's saying, listen, you might think you have ultimate autonomy, authority over this kingdom, over this world, but I do. I'm going to put something in your life that disrupts your peace, that disrupts your, your natural flow of life to show you you're not ultimately in control. And how's he do that? By this issue of time. Nebuchadnezzar is like, I want to know this, this interpretation. And I want you to tell it to me now. And he, the, the Chaldeans are like, you hey, know, can you just tell us the dream and then we'll tell you the interpretation? That's how these things work. And he's like, no, 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 I know the games you're playing. I know I could tell you this dream and you're going to make up something. I'm not playing this game. You've got to tell it to me and you've got to tell it to me now. And so when Daniel goes to hear, hears about this, his, his life is at stake. And so what does he do? He goes in and says, I'll play your game. What? Tell me what time you want me to tell you the dream. And then, look at verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes, look at these two words, times and seasons. Those are the same two words that were mentioned earlier in the text. He's saying, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, you might think you have the right to demand when things happen and how things happen, but there is a God who's greater than you. There's a God who's working in Babylon to confront the powers of Babylon. And what we have to do is we have to recognize that we live in a world where the powers of Babylon seem very big, They feel very overwhelming to us at times, and we feel like the power of God is distant. It's kind of like uh, if you took something really small, like if you took a little Lego, and you put this little Lego, if you held held this Lego in your fingers, and you held it up close to your eye, how big would that Lego be? It would seem really big. If The closer you bring it to your eye, the, the bigger this Lego is going to be, and you can do this with any object. But the farther away you take this Lego away or this object away from your eye, it's going to seem pretty small. And the same way it is with the power of God and the powers of this world. There are times when the powers of this world feel so strong and so powerful that it's right up in our face. And we think that's all that there is. And we forget that there's a greater power at work around us. And if we're not careful... If you and I are not careful, we're going to believe that there is a greater power in this world than the power of God, and we will live by fear and we will make decisions based on fear if we believe that God is not actively working his power in Babylon. I love this story. Uh, I, I, I heard about it years ago when I did the re- and, I, and I read about it yesterday, but there's, there's a story about a band named Blue Tree, and they wrote this song called uh, God of the City. Maybe you remember, it's, it's 15 years old. I thought it was about five years old, and then I realized, oh my goodness, it's 15 years ago. But that song, God of the City, Chris Tomlin sang it. It was very popular amongst the passion worship of the mid-2000s. But in 2007, this, this Irish band uh, got an opportunity to go to Bangkok, Thailand to do a missions trip. And while they were there, you know, Bangkok, Thailand is the, almost the epicenter of, of the sex trafficking industry. I mean, it is a, it is a den of iniquity. It is, it is perverse in every way possible. And uh, they were there in this place. And in order to, to play at this bar in the hub of the worst part of Bangkok, um, they had to go in and guarantee that they would buy drinks. And so, you know, about a dozen of them bought a bunch of Coca-Colas so they could play for a couple hours. And here they were in the middle of the dark, one of the darkest cities in this world where there is sex trafficking and, and sexual perversion happening all around them. And they are start, start playing this, wor- this, this worship music. So people are hearing and sing. I mean, one of the darkest places of the world. And they're shining this light of Jesus. And it was in the, in the midst of this moment where the singer... Uh, was just so overwhelmed by, by what he was seeing and he had to believe that there was something that God was greater than what he was seeing. And in in that moment God gave him the song, God of the city. You're the God of this city. You're the king of this people. You're the Lord of this nation. You're the light of the darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. And it was the words, it was like the Holy Spirit gave him the words in that moment to show him God is still working here. And we've got to believe that. You've got to believe when you walk into that, when you walk into your office, God is at work in this place. You've got to believe when you walk into your home and you feel like there's, there's this oppression against the things of God, that God is working. God is working to confront the powers of Babylon. And we've got to remind ourselves that, you know, as Daniel did, Daniel had to, had to remind himself, man, God is still working. God's still working. There, there, there's, a, there's a dream going on. And this dream is an opportunity for me to show the power of God. God, And and when Daniel realized what what was going on and, and God answered his prayers, he was able to identify and, again, strengthen his faith to say, you know what, God? I'm around a lot of powers. I'm around a lot of dictators and rules and authorities and systems that feel overwhelming to me. But I serve you who's more powerful than all of this. Do you believe that? Do you live like that? Or do you let fear dictate to you what you say and what you do? Listen, I, I get it. I, fear is one of my greatest enemies that I have to face on a regular basis. And one of the things that helps me overcome my fear in the moments when I feel fear is knowing that there's a greater power at work. What does it say in 2 Timothy chapter 1? God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. If you don't believe there's a greater power working from God around you and in you, you will stay hidden. You will stay fearful and you will not speak up. So God is working in Babylon. He's working to confront the powers of Babylon. The second thing he's doing, God is working to confound Babylon's wisdom. God's working to confound Babylon's wisdom. Notice what the wise men say these these it says the enchanters the sorcerers the magicians the Chaldeans now again how these people did it i know this might sound you know weird to us but again religion and and government were of the same thing that you, you could separate religion from from your nationality and these enchanters and sorcerers, they would uh, do demonic practices to, to get somehow get connected to the spirit realm, the spirit world. And so there was a lot of demonic activity going on. And here's what they knew, that when they would attach themselves or connect to the spirit realm and the spirit world, they could get power and they could get information. And so that's what they were doing. And but, but here's the problem, they, that, that power, that spiritual power they would get from these demons... It was limited. It they they, they was not all powerful. And so when Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, you've got to make known to me not just the interpretation of the dream. You've got to tell me what I dreamed. Nebuchadnezzar was asking them to do something that seemed impossible from their perspective. It was impossible without supernatural intervention. But look at what they said, all right, in verse, in verse 10. This is the Chaldeans answered and said, Uh, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. See, their wisdom, their worldview was different than Daniel's. It's different from the biblical worldview. And this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 10. Remember, Babylon has its roots in Babel. And if you go to Genesis chapter 10 and 11, when we see the Tower of Babel being built, remember, why did they build a building up into the heavens? They were wanting to draw closer to to the gods. They were developing a religious system, a faith system, a mindset that said, we will build something, it's up for us to build up, we've got to work our way up to get closer to the heavens, to get closer to the gods in heavens so that we can get power from them. That is, the, that is man, and if you think about it, that is man's way of thinking about religion. Every world religion on the face of this planet thinks this way. It's up for us to build up so that we can reach God or the gods. We've got to do things to reach them. They don't care about us. They're, they're up there, but, but and we're down here. But you know the way of Yahweh, the way of God, the one true God, the way of Jesus, is that guess what? God does not, we don't have to work our way up. We don't have to build buildings to get closer to God. God is a God who comes down to us. From the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, what do we see? We see God coming to be with mankind, that God's purpose God's desire has always been to dwell with us. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus, this, this worldview of, hey, the, the dwell, God's up here and his, their dwelling place is not with man. It confronted the worldview that was not the biblical worldview. And what does Daniel show? Daniel shows that, no, that's not the way it is. The, the solutions, the, the, the problems that the world faces. Listen, all of you, are, all of us have problems in our life. But one of the things that we need to remind ourselves is that there are solutions that God gives to us through his word and through his spirit, that we have solutions that, that many times in Babylon, they're not even thinking about. And we've got to remember that, that when, when, we are, when we're faced with people saying, oh, I, I don't know how to fix my marriage. I don't know how to fix the, this, this health issue. I don't know how to fix these, these problems in my life. I don't know how to fix this addiction we cannot remain silent. We need to be people say, "I know I have a solution. I know I know someone, and his name is Jesus." I was so excited a couple uh, about a couple months ago. Um, Craig Headley he's a part of our churches. He came here about maybe a year and a half ago, and and uh, Craig was going through some health difficulties, and so uh, he had gotten COVID really bad, and he was it was just he was his. His health had deteriorated, and and they had gone to the Mayo Clinic. They had gone to specialists, cardiologists. They could not figure out what was wrong with Craig, and he was he was bedridden. He could he couldn't walk around, and 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 so um, Doug Dunham, one of the guys who disciples Craig, said, hey, "Hey, have you looked in James five? And this is what the Bible says: when you're sick, and you, you can go to the elders and you pray over them, and and um, so." Craig, or Craig met with us, his wife and his son and the elders, and we had a prayer session over them about a month and a half ago. And we went to follow up with Craig just to see how he and his wife Kathy were doing. And he answers the door and he's like, God has healed me. God has completely healed me. I, I, I don't, I, I, it was in, within a week, all the symptoms dissipated. All the things changed. And, and there's no medical explanation for what happened. And I'll tell you what, when you hear that, you know what my first reaction is? Really? <laughs> I'm the one where the elders praying for him like and I believe that God could heal that because I've seen God heal before. I've seen God do it. But many times I think we think like that like we have theoretical solutions to problems, but we where's our faith to believe that God can do these kinds of things? How many of us when people share with us their problems we don't say we don't stop and say, "Hey, can I pray for you?" Because I'll tell you what, people need hope, and they're looking for a solution. And the wisdom of Babylon says, listen, this problem that we have, there's no solution for this problem. You might as well kill us. And that is the mindset for so many of the people that you live around and work around. They don't have the solutions for the problems in their life, but you and I do, and his name is Jesus. And we've got to learn how to start speaking up and speaking out and praying for people because we serve an all powerful God who's active. And what does Daniel say? What does Daniel say? Blessed, look at verse 20, 20 again. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to those who have understanding. God is a God who's saying, listen, I can give you the wisdom that you need. I can give you the the understanding that you need. I have the answers. God doesn't just it, God is working in Babylon. He's not just working to confront the powers of Babylon. He's working to confront the wisdom of Babylon. But lastly, there's, there's another thing that God is working. And as much as God is working in Babylon, God's also working in us in Babylon. So the last, the last point is this. God is working to build up our faith. God is working to build up our faith. You know, one of the things that that uh, we have to do is we have to ask the Bible questions. It's one of the biggest things that I've tried to teach you guys over and over again. When you're reading the Bible, ask the Bible questions. All right, now here's the question that we should be asking. Because again, we we read these stories and we're like, oh yeah, Daniel went in and and he told the king, I'll I'll interpret your dream. And we kind of know that God interprets the dream if you're familiar with the story. Here's the thing I want you to think about. What gave Daniel the audacity to walk into Nebuchadnezzar's you know, throne room and say, tell me what time, and I'll tell you the interpretation. What? This is, it would be the equivalent. And I know this isn't a perfect illustration, but it would be, I guess, kind of similar to you just get hired at Bank of America. You are there for about a month. You've been there for about a month on the job. And you get word that the CEO has sliced and cut your entire department. Everyone's getting laid off. Everyone. There's, because of a problem, you know, they, they can't figure out how to fix this one solution in your, in your company, and they're, they're laying off your entire department. And you push the button and go up to the top floor and say, let me see the CEO. I know how to fix this problem. Would you have the audacity to do that? You're like, um... That's not that that when you think when you think about it in those terms, that's, that's audacious. So what was it in in what was it in Daniel that made him say this? And there's another thing that helps us to understand something else that's going on here. If you look in chapter 1, if you look in chapter 1 and verse 17, there's a little foreshadowing that Daniel gives to us. He says, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Ah. So when this vision and dream is going on again, Daniel has set us up to, to, to know that God is going to take care of this. Now is he going to take care of this, look at the last line, verse 21 of chapter 1. And Daniel was there until the first, reign, first year of King Cyrus. When you're reading this in real time, One of the things that you should be reading this with a sense of calm and be like, well, Daniel's got this problem fixed and he's not going to get killed. But in the moment, in the moment, what is our thought? What is our feelings? What are our emotions? And this is why I believe Daniel's doing this. Because this this foreshadowing in chapter 1 and Daniel's actions should make us ask another question. Where have we seen this before? Whenever you're reading a biblical narrative, a narrative in Scripture, always ask the question, where have we seen this before? Where have we seen before a king or an or a all-powerful world ruler having a dream that troubles him? Have we, have we heard of that before? Pharaoh, Joseph, right? Daniel, this is another example of Daniel knowing his word, knowing God's word, knowing and saying, listen, uh, wait a second. I know what, I know what Yahweh does when, there, when there's a king that has a bad dream. I've read this story before, and he can give the power and the ability to understand this dream. You see, God is always working to build up our faith. And one of the things he does, he wants us, as we read God's word, as we read these narratives, what he is showing us and teaching us is that God is able to do today what he did back then. We've got to change our thinking, people. We we, we read the Bible as if it's history, as if that was for them. But for now, we just have to, change we've got to understand that god the same god the god of the bible is the same god over this world and over this universe today and god wants to show himself powerful god wants to show his power and ability to show you that he is greater than all these things that's what he's doing in your life and he will put you in situations where your and daniel his life was at risk your reputation may be at risk Your livelihood may be at risk. Your safety may be at risk. There's something at risk going on in your life right now. And what God is teaching us and showing us is saying, will you trust me? Do you believe that I can help you? Do you believe that I'm the one that has the answers? You know, many of us, I believe, live like deists. A deist is someone who believes that there's an all creator God who created the world and then left the world to just operate on its own. And I think there's a, there is something inside of us, I, I believe we almost live like this in many ways, as opposed to believing that the same God of the Bible is able to do the things that he did in the Bible today. There's a great book, I know I've shared it with you before, but, but the book, The Insanity of God, and there's a, this, this guy goes around the, the world and interviews people that, that were able to maintain and thrive in their faith in the midst of horrible persecution, under the communists of Eastern Europe, under the, the Muslim regimes of the Middle East, under the communists uh, uh, of, of China and Asia. And one of the things is he's talking to one of these pastors, one of these leaders in, in one of these brutal Eastern European dictatorships. And he's saying, how, how did you know what to do? How did you, What did you do when, you know, I don't understand, how did you figure out what you were doing in the midst of all this persecution? And he said, what are you talking about? And he took them over and he opened up the Bible and he says, we have all the answers we need right in here. If God could do the same things that he did in the, in during the biblical times, why would he not do the same things for us today? And I think for many of us, we've let whether it's our academics or whether it's our, our own you know, boxed-in theology, we, we just think that we've got God figured out. Listen, God is always looking to build up our faith. And when he does... What we need to remember is that He deserves all the praise and honor and glory. There's something that happens. Daniel, this, the, the center, the, the centerpiece of this entire chapter is verses 20 through 23. This this doxology. Oh, praise the name of God. And I, and I love it. it. wasn't It's not just the content of that 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 prayer, that praise, that song, that poem. What God is doing to Daniel in this moment is he's making his faith three-dimensional. He's taking what he knows about God in the Bible, and he's asking him to step out on faith and building up his faith. And when he steps out on faith, all of a sudden he's saying, wait a second, that same God that I saw work here is working now. And I'm seeing him with my own eyes. And I'm experiencing it every day. I'll give you a really, this is not a big story. This is a small story. But Friday, Friday's my day off. Liz and I were going out to do a bunch of things, and, and um, I'm getting dressed, and I've got a Liverpool shirt, and I was going to wear a different shirt, but for some reason, the Spirit of God's like, wear the Liverpool shirt, because God's a Liverpool fan. And, um, <laughs> Liverpool's an English Premier League soccer team, so I put on. I'm like, okay, God, I'll put on the Liverpool shirt, and I'm, we're doing errands, and I went over to a place uh, to get glasses, and I walk in, and the guy that greets us is like, Oh my goodness, I'm a huge Liverpool fan, and we start talking, and we start. He starts sharing with me his story and his life and what he's going through, and and um, God just opened up a door for me to build this relationship with this guy. I'm gonna have lunch with him next week. That's what I mean. God's working. God's always working. And God's working in all of us. Even those, small, those little small things. Sometimes it's big things, right? Our, our, our health is, is at risk or something that's big at risk. But sometimes just the small things to be like, put on that shirt. Okay, I don't understand it, but I'll put it on. And God showed me why I had to wear that shirt on Friday. God is always doing those kinds of things. And if we're attentive and we're humble and we're listening and we're believing, we will see God do those things over and over and over again. Do you believe God's working? Do you believe God's working in Babylon? Do you believe God's working in your corporate boardroom? Do you believe that God's working in your office? Do you believe God's working in your school? He's working in your school. He's working in, in the students that, that you go to school with that you might think they don't really care about God. They don't know about God. Yes, they do. God's working. We got to start believing and living as if God is working to confront the powers of Babylon, the wisdom of Babylon, and to build up our faith in Babylon so we can thrive in Babylon. number of questions, then I'm done. Number one, where do you see God working around you? Where do you see God working around you? It'll be a great exercise for you right now, in just this moment. Write down where you see God working. What, what doors is He opening? Where is He working in people's lives around that you just see, man? God God's stirring something up in that person's life, opening them up to the things of uh, you know spiritual sensitivity, like they've never been sensitive before. Number two, what are the problems that you need to pray for? Notice that when Daniel had a problem, he's like, guys, we got we got some praying to do. It's Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. I'm like, we got to pray. Let's seek the mercy of God. But they knew in order to so- solve the problems of Babylon, and needed a supernatural solution. And we need to start praying. We need to start praying for people. We need to start praying for, this, for, the, for the problems that we have in our own lives to believe that God in his mercy can answer and has the power to do so. And then lastly, how is God working in you? How is God working in you to build up your faith? There's something he's doing in you right now. He's saying, will you trust me? Are you going to live in fear? Or are you going to trust me? Are you going to be bold? Are you going to be courageous? I cannot even imagine the audacity of this, of this teenage, you know, maybe eight, 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old walking into the throne of, of Nebuchadnezzar and say, tell me the time, and I'll tell you the answer. Wow. That's the kind of faith I want to have. It's the kind of faith I want to live by. And that's the kind of faith that God wants you to have in your life. And he's doing something right now to say, trust me. You don't have to be afraid. Trust me, I'm working in you. Trust me, I'm here, trust me. What I, what I did here, what I've done in history is I'm still doing it today. Will you just believe and trust me? God's working in Babylon and he's working in you. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I don't know what God is working in you this morning, but I do know he's always challenging us to to grow in our faith, and maybe even to have faith. Maybe maybe you're saying, Ben, all the things you talked about today, I don't even know if I have faith in God. I don't know what that means. But if you want to talk to someone about what it means to even have faith in Jesus, have faith in God, so that you may know how to have a relationship with him, how you might know that you might have eternal life in heaven with him, we'd love to talk with you. Or maybe you're somebody, Ben, I, I have faith in God, but man, it, it feels dormant and small right now. Just take this moment to say, God, I'm trusting in you to take these steps of faith this week. Make that commitment right now that this is how you're going to live. This is what you're going to do. God's working. Let's be obedient and follow him. Father God, we we come before you right now and we, we have to believe, we want to believe that the stories and the narratives that we read about in Scripture are still possible today. God, for some of us, it's, it's our faith that we believe that the supernatural was something in the past, but it's not for today. And I pray that, God, you would begin to open our hearts and our minds to believe that the supernatural still po- is still possible for us. That you're still working in people's hearts and minds. You're still disrupting the comfort of Babylon. So God, I pray that you would begin working in Lake Norman, work in our neighborhoods, work in our work environments, and work in us in ways that we can begin to see your spirit move. We're praying for a movement, Lord, of your spirit in us, through us, around us. So God, change us. Lay these things at your feet. Increase our faith today. God, we give you our fear. We give you our hope. Help us, O Lord, to walk in obedience and faith in Christ. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing to a God who's working.